0: This is episode 15.
1: You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd.
0: Coming up on this episode, we talk with retired L.A. Fire Battalion Chief Larry Schneider. You might know him, he's a legend in the firefighting world. Yeah, legend, I'm going to say that. Being one of the longest serving firefighters in L.A. history, get this, more than six decades. Larry talks with us about the early days of his career, which began during World War II, and then about the Northridge earthquake. Images of collapsed freeways, bouncing fire apparatus, and dramatic rescues. He regales us from the back patio of his home in the Los Angeles Hills, right now. Schneider, thank you so much for letting us be here with you today. You have a beautiful view. It's changed over the years, but the reason I say uh, that everybody in the fire world who's been around for a little while knows your name because you're one of the longest serving uh, battalion chiefs, but firefighters to boot. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your career early on.
1: Well, I began during uh, World War II, 1944, in the Los Angeles County Fire Department as a call man. And as such, I worked as a firefighter when they had vacancies. (laughs) So I worked in a lot of different county fire stations and uh, for about five years, then I went to work for the city of Torrance Fire Department. And I worked there for five years and earned the rank of engineer But I always wanted to be a member of the Los Angeles City Fire Department. So the first chance I had in 1954, I took the exam, became a Los Angeles City firefighter. I uh, served in that capacity as a firefighter uh, apparatus operator, or we used to call them auto firemen. Uh, Captain, captain to battalion chief. I retired in 2007, which is 53 years of service with the Los Angeles City Fire Department. So combined with all of them, it's 63 years in uniform.
0: 63-year career. I can. I don't think I've ever met anyone in my life who has spent more than 30 or 40 years at any one career. How is it that you were able to do what you did for so long?
1: I think for the grace of God, I had the health and the capacity to do this. I retired. Uh, just before I turned 80 years old, only because I felt I should. Uh, I felt good uh, that I can still do the job for another five years. So, and I probably could've, and now I'm starting to slow down. Okay, <laughs> well, it's
0: about time. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> January 17th, 1994,
1: where were you the day that the earthquake happened? Four o'clock in the morning, roughly. I was uh, in bed, at Fire Station 28, which was a brand new fire station. We haven't even moved any fire companies in the fire station at that time. I came from Fire Station 70 on Reseda Boulevard. Uh, They had moved me up there because uh, to prevent vandalism in a vacant fire station until they put a fire company in there. Uh, So when the earthquake happened at 431, and uh, uh, it knocked me physically out of bed and against the wall. It wedged me between the bed and the wall.
0: That was a rude awakening, huh?
1: Yeah, it was, and the bad part about it, the new fire stations have carpet on the floor, and I couldn't shove the bed over. Oh. <laughs> on the other, <laughs> older thought. fire stations, why we had anonium and we could have pushed the bed easy. Right. But anyway, uh, the only one stationed there was uh, my staff assistant the, who drives for the battalion chief. And uh, so we, what they call bunked out, we got out, and uh, the doors of the fire station were, were uh, damaged, so we had to open them by hand. We did get them open and get the vehicle out of the fire station. Now, in Los Angeles, they have what they call an uh, uh, earthquake mode. And upon any uh, earthquake, why all the fire companies in the city all leave their fire station, and they all go to a safe location. It's a location safe, it's within their own district, and we have good radio communication. Now, when we get to that point, then they all report the companies in that battalion, call their battalion commander and report they're safe, or if if everything is safe, and the condition of their apparatus and fire station. If they're all fine, then when they complete that, then they take a tour of their battalion and drive every street in it, Uh, Looking for anything uh, that's damaged or people trapped or people in need of anything or fires or that sort of thing. And then they reported to the battalion chief and then he would uh, dispatch whatever he felt necessary or whatever was available. But what happened on this earthquake, I didn't hear anybody calling in to anybody. No one at all. What what
0: were you thinking at that point? Were you concerned?
1: Yeah, I was concerned. I didn't know whether the the stations were damaged, they couldn't get out, or the the radios were down. We didn't know. So I proceeded down the hill from uh, Fire Station 28. It's located on Corbin Avenue. And from that location, I could look out over the entire valley, and it was all dark, dust rising, and transformers exploding. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, every yeah, now and then display going it on looked here. like it. Yeah, yeah, like they were like a B-52 carpet bombing. And then various fires were starting. We started to see them as we come down off the hill. Then the, the first company notified me that they were out of quarters, that they had their station was damaged uh, and so forth. So I start getting reports from the various fire companies. Uh, we had. Uh, about a 25 mile an hour wind blowing on the east part of our battalion over on Balboa. And that presented a big problem or we thought we had a big problem. Uh, so as these fire companies reported in and then they were to start their drive through, uh, I noticed one brush fire, or it was actually in the grass headed to brush. Uh, I notified engine 70 to extinguish it as fast as they could before the fire spread into a heavy brush. And then uh, we proceeded east, and we've seen large glows. And what the large glow was from a uh, 52-inch water main had burst on Balboa. And the same hole was a 20-inch high-pressure gas line burst. And uh, they were ignited by a guy with his pickup truck had dr- driven into the hole, and uh, couldn't get his truck started. So this ignited, and it the flames and gas were going about 100 feet in the air. These are big feeder mains and about five houses on both sides of Baoboa fully involved. Now, prior to this happening, uh, uh, Engine 18 reported to me that the freeways are crashed or crashed down upon one another. The 14 fell on the I 5, and the 18 was damaged. and. He thinks there's a a woman trapped in an automobile on one of them. So I told him to proceed to get her out. So they had to climb up this wreckage of the the, uh, freeway. They took the uh, tailgate off a pickup truck sitting there and used it as a stretcher. And off they went up the side of this freeway. This is the same freeway where the motor officer had driven off the end and was killed. And they found a woman seven or eight months pregnant in her car just about ready to go over the edge. So they got her out of there and then a county fire department uh, helicopter just happened by and they singled to him and he came back and picked her up and off they went to the hospital. So she was in the hospital within probably 10 minutes. Wow, she was lucky. They were very lucky. And then when they came back down, of course, then they got involved in the gas main fire. And, uh, Along with the uh, engine eight and engine seventy-four from another battalion, they couldn't contact their battalion chief. So he seen the glow and responded on his own, thinking he was going alone, because he had no con- radio contact. We were having problems with the radios uh, at first of the various channels. Uh, OCD, which is our dispatch channel, at our center at the time was having some problems
0: this is all within just the first what hour two hours now Oh, the first
1: few minutes first few
0: minutes yeah what happened next in terms of setting up the emergency operations center and
1: well what we did we went all the way over here to uh, determine what we had going there uh, on the way back we found uh, some condos well involved in fire we got companies assigned to there uh, we were uh, uh, viewing all this wreckage of different apartment houses collapsed and so forth as we were driving through. We went right by the, the uh, uh, North Ridge Meadows apartment house. And uh, then I noticed it had collapsed. Uh, we had no fire companies on the scene yet. <coughs> so we went to, uh, we had a pre-designated area. We would, we had already pre-planned where we would set up a command post and that would be at uh, Norquist and uh, 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 Reseda Boulevard. That's in a big parking lot of a Bon's uh, de- uh, supermarket. And the reason it was selected, uh, it was in the center of the battalion, number one. Number two, it had very few vertical uh, lamp posts and poles of that nature that would hinder a helicopter landing. Uh, we had excellent radio communication from that location. And we could see a good part of the battalion. So once we set up there, we began to uh, uh, dispatch companies to different uh, fires that we knew about. And then they were reporting to us what they were coming across. We uh, got a report. There's a a Southern Pacific freight train overturned on the SP main line going through the valley there at Tampa. And uh, I'm forgetting the other street now. Tampa and Norquist, I think it was. And it was a a chemical train They had uh, chemicals on board. So anyway, we were getting all these reports, and we could see fires, we could see smoke, and we can uh, make a good determination from those. And then we're getting reports from different fire companies what they had run across this and run across that. I said run across, they came upon them, and then they uh, i tell them which ones to attack and which ones not to attack, because we had no life loss in the factory but burned down at that time in the morning, and was MLK's uh, holiday also that day. Uh, but we did have a lot of lives in mobile homes. So we saved more people in the mobile homes than anywhere else, but really. that's because <laughs> that's where the life threat was, right? Yes, right. They maybe have uh, 30 or 40 uh, mobile homes. and. Most of them have elderly people living in them, and they're all off their jacks, and they're on an angle, and the poor people couldn't climb up out of them. So the point,
0: now, you <laughs> had problems with radios, right? You said you had problems we're with...
1: We are having problems. Yeah, we couldn't communicate with Division Three. We couldn't communicate with OCD, which is our dispatch center. Uh, we were intermittently getting through to our fire companies. That so, was on a different channel.
0: So did you have an overall picture of what was going on Pretty oh, good. Yeah, so how long did that take?
1: Uh, well, it probably took about uh, 15, 20 minutes before we realized what we had going. I did not realize at the time that we were in the upper center. I thought maybe because we weren't getting any radio communication from anybody from downtown, I thought, well, the upper center must have been downtown LA and that place was flattened and we aren't going to expect to get any help because they would definitely be overwhelmed. Uh, that wasn't the case, but this is what was going through my mind. This is why we weren't getting any help. So, where was the epicenter? <laughs> right where we were sitting. Right underneath it. Right underneath Fire Station 70. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is,
0: now, that was 70, but you were in 28. We eight,
1: were in 28s. Right? 70s was my headquarters, right, really. Right. And, uh, and
0: Knocked you out of bed, but what would have happened had you been sleeping in, in 70?
1: Well, firemen bunk out quick. And I have a reputation for bunking out super quick. <laughs> so I probably would have been all right because these firemen bunked out fast enough that their bricks fell on their beds and missed them. Really? That's how fast they were. They had bunked out of their bed, get their boots on, and the bricks were falling on their bed. And they thought the station was collapsing. Uh, when they got downstairs, it's a two-story fire station. When they got downstairs, the apparatus was bouncing. Apparatus, of the fire engines were bouncing across the floor. Uh, and they couldn't get out of the station. Uh, they forced the rear doors uh, open, they finally got out. And they're the closest one to the Meadows Apartments. Now they went right by it at first, thinking it was a two-story. Oh. And, they, uh, and there was another one right down the street flattened out. but they didn't find anybody there and they came back to the other one.
0: With your experience, and at this point, you had had, what, 40 years or so In firefighting, you were a battalion Mm. chief for a number of years already, more than a dozen or two dozen years. Was it an easy decision to figure out what your first plan of attack should be? Or was that something you really had to stop and think about?
1: No, it was easy to make the decision and just make it right now. And uh, the one thing that was dangerous about it was 70s. I told the captain that was in charge of 70s that make every effort to get in and... uh, rescue these people. But I had no backup to get him out. And we had a lot of uh, aftershocks. And uh, uh, as difficult that is, that's what firemen do. And that's our job. So he uh, he understood that and uh, didn't hesitate at all. Uh, And they crawled in there, found one guy laying in bed with the, the floor above him down so close he had nails sticking in his chest. And they had to get him out, and they couldn't move him. So uh, firemen used a lot of innovations. So he sent out for a hacksaw, the guy crawled back in there. They cut the legs off the bed and lowered it, and then got him out. Smart. Yeah. Very smart. But there's different things like this that uh, different firemen did uh, all over the job. Uh, You can't even pick one out. There were so many of them did heroic things. just a whole bunch.
0: Well, now you're commanding all these folks. You're you're getting the overall picture. Yeah. You're trying to make the best moves to affect uh, the best outcomes given your resources. Were you you said you were having trouble getting backup? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Were you on your own throughout the entire?
1: No. Uh, once in a while, another fire company, if I'm another battalion, would contact contact me and say uh, uh, they're available and they would come running into our battalion.
0: How did that feel?
1: Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, uh, these are uh, good officers. Uh, they, know, they knew that we needed help. They knew they were available. They knew they couldn't contact their own battalion. Uh, so they took it upon themselves, and uh, here they come. And, uh, Big relief, I bet. And we had quite a few of those, and uh, they did a famous job when they got there. Uh, fire departments train every day. It's like the army; you train every single day. And it isn't training every day to learn something new. It's training to keep your proficiency up, and uh, for the in case the in the event of an earthquake um, or airplane crash, or fire on a high-rise, a brush fire, or anything really going on. When the alarm goes off, 30 to 60 seconds, we're responding, and. Uh, you're thinking going to the alarm, you're thinking of all the things that could be at that location uh, based on what, the little bit that you know. Uh, you do know you're going to some place uh, where the public is asking for help. And when you get there, you see firemen going out a fire. They're usually moving as fast as they can, you know, and they're running with ladders. They're dragging hoses as fast as they can. They go into smoke-filled buildings, and they do this on a routine, regular basis. And they can do so uh, because they train every day. to keep up, like an army. They don't want a war every day, but they gotta be prepared in the event they have one. And that's what firemen do. Very good bunch of people that I'm very proud of. And you should
0: be. As the incident commander, uh, what was, thinking back to that day, uh, was there any one particular decision that you had to really stop and think about? One that you knew that if you went this direction, this would happen, but, if I went this direction, this would happen. Was there one that was really difficult for you to to make, do you remember that?
1: I made a lot of those decisions like that, but uh, it didn't bother me. Like, for example, Cal State University, the science building was on fire. Well we, from our command post, I can watch it. Well. Uh, Engine 104 the I sent them over there and uh, he checked it out and Determined there was nobody in the buildings uh, The smoke was rising vertical. It wasn't coming into the neighborhoods. It's, it's, uh, it's a science building That's why we're more worried about the smoke uh, So he wrote it off uh, I say he wrote it off. We wrote it off temporarily and we were sending fire companies to other things and it wasn't for several hours that we finally got some uh, Uh, strike teams, that's uh, several fire companies and a battalion chief out there, uh, to augment our forces and then we sent them over there and then they went in and fought the fire. And they had a pretty good fire going, but we did that in a lot. Now there was another case uh, that was a long, prolonged rescue was that the uh, uh, the Bullock's department store collapsed. The shopping, the the, uh, parking structure collapsed But driving a sweeper in there at the time was a guy, and this thing collapsed on five floors of cement on top of him, and he's trapped in there. And so a guy told us this, and uh, so we got a whole division finally, and uh, they sent a a light force, and that's just a very small group of firemen on a a ladder truck and a pump to investigate. (laughs) Well, the captain was an excellent captain, an excellent crew. And they got there and they discovered, yeah, it's true, this guy's under there. Now, how are we going to get him out? Now, this is, uh, we were just, at that time, just starting our heavy uh, rescue uh, equipment, our uh, urban search and rescue types of fire tools and companies. And uh, it wasn't really fully developed at that time. But anyway, he took what he had. Uh, The county fire department sent theirs. They had just started theirs, and uh, two of their men showed up with it at my command post, and it turned out, the guy driving it used to drive my brother, who was an assistant chief on the county fire department, so we knew each other. He happened to have a brother on the city fire department. So this connection worked immediately. And uh, so I gave him two city firemen to give him some manpower, he said that he had a crew coming, but then I uh, sent them out to help. Uh, this was Light Force 89. So they went out and they began to work with our Light Force there. And then we got them some other fire companies to assist them. And uh, the captain, uh, he got the, the gas company uh, to give them some jackhammers. And they went off, got and brought jackhammers. And it took them nine hours of digging through concrete to get that guy and he saved him. Five floors of cement.
0: That's, that's incredible. At any point? Was it ever overwhelming, or did you, did you just fall back on the training and just everything seemed to click?
1: It never was overwhelming, and yeah, we just go back like we always do. And uh, <clears throat> you have to keep several things in mind. Uh, you're making these decisions like you're asking about, uh, but another thing you've got to do is keep records. You've got to know where your people are, <clears throat> and you're getting requests. And we don't have fire companies to handle the requests so we have an extra record keeping there what the request is for what hour that we got it what time it was that we got the call what the location is and then later who we assigned to take care of it now some things we just ignored them Uh, we didn't send anybody we we had nobody to send there so we ignored those but we had another ones where we had people involved we would definitely send ones there as soon as we got a fire company So keeping these records was of extreme importance.
0: You're getting these requests in, do they come in by radio?
1: Some were by radios, uh, some by people coming into the command post. We had a lot of those.
0: So you're telling these people, we don't have the resources to give you. How do you maintain their morale while at the same time telling them, I have nobody to give you. I know you need them and lives may depend on it, but there's not a whole lot I can do.
1: Most people understood that. <clears throat> a matter of fact, they were very cooperative. Uh, we had nobody screaming and hollering, you're not, you don't care, and that kind of stuff. Not at all. Uh, the people were real, real receptive to everything that we told them. Uh, they knew that we were sending companies as fast as we can get them. And as a company would finish one job and they came back to the command post, we shot them right out on another. Was there anything
0: that, that stood out in your mind as being a huge victory?
1: I think one of the best things, what made me feel real good, was how good our our men worked. And that's
0: where we'll end it. And on what better note than the praise he had for the crews and how well they worked during that response effort. An incredible man, really, with a sharp memory. Hey, thanks for listening. And please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We'll have more on the way from FEMA Region 9 Administrator Bob Fenton. Till then, I'm Sean Boyd. Thanks for listening and stay safe.
1: You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.